The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, thank you for that uh, kind introduction. I appreciate it. I didn't appreciate the photo bomb, by the way. I mean, I, I didn't know that was going to be preserved in any way. Uh, I didn't know I set myself up for that one, you know. But I love the photo bomb. So if I see you taking a picture, I'm... Yeah, I'm right, I'm right, I'm going after you. Um, so thank you. I, am, I appreciate the invitation to be here at Quail Springs. The Springs, I'm sorry. I've known you as Quail Springs for so long. Um, in fact, I, I visited here. I, I wasn't here to speak or anything, but I, I was at Quail Springs the Sunday after the bombing. And I remember that very vividly. And I remember some of the discussions that were going on and, and the community that was there. And I've always appreciated Quell Springs because you are supporting some of my favorite missionaries uh, in Hildesheim, Germany, and in Belgium, the Brazils. Um, so I'm grateful for that and grateful for your ministry to them over the years. It's been wonderful. So thank you. Also, I, I, I saw today, I had no clue that they were going to be here, but and I'm going to call attention. I, they're not going to like this, but... Uh, Laurie and Terry Williams, who I knew in the 1990s in Memphis, Tennessee. Kelly said, I have five living children. Um, Jennifer had one who passed, and I have had one who passed. Joshua passed. And Joshua was alive during the time Terry and Laurie were in the same church with us. And they would show up on occasion. They'd show up at my house. I think I even mentioned this in Anchors for the Soul. I think I mentioned this. I didn't name them at that point, but they would show up at my house and say, we're here to babysit Joshua. Y'all go do something. And, you know, I don't remember much of anything people say in the middle of grief, whether it's at the funeral or years after or as Joshua was, Joshua had a terminal illness, so he had 10 years of deterioration over that time. I don't remember much of what anybody said. The words are not all that important. I love you. I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. I care about you. Yeah. But what you do is more important. And I remember what y'all did. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Our text this morning is John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 17. It's my custom in, a, in an assembly like this that we kind of follow the practice of Israel. Let's, let's stand as we read the Word of God. John 13, verses 1. If you're able, please stand. Hear the word of the Lord. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from himself, no, excuse me, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet and put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. That is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Jesus had loved them who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. Now, your translation may say something different than to the end, because there's a little ambiguity here. Does, is that a temporal reference? That is, Jesus loved them all the way to the last moment before he died? Or is that a, about depth and about intensity? That he loved them to the end. He loved them intensely. He loved them all the way. He loved them with everything he had. Probably both. John has a way of using words with double meanings and meaning both. Like, are you born again or are you born from above? Yes. <laughs> both. And I think that's probably true here. And so as Jesus gathers at this table with his disciples on the eve of his death, he's going to love them intensely. He's going to love them all the way. He's going to love them to the end of his life. He's going to love them to the depths of his soul. And he gets up and he puts on a towel and begins to wash feet. Now there's an important line before he starts doing that. As John describes this scene, he describes it as Jesus knowing. And what does he know? He knows that the Father has put all things into his hands. 
In other words, Jesus is secure in his relationship with the Father. Jesus is not doubting his relationship with the Father. He's not insecure about it. He's not wondering about it. He's not ifing in it. He's secure in it. He knows. He knows the relationship with the Father. And to have that kind of knowledge, what does it do for Jesus? It doesn't do what sometimes knowledge does to us. As Paul said, knowledge puffs us up, right? We know stuff so, oh, we're important. We know stuff so everybody ought to listen to us. Now, Jesus knows something. He knows his security with God. He knows his relationship with God. And instead of that creating an arrogance in him, it drives his humility. Now, just think about that for a moment. Does your sense of status, does your sense of privilege, does your sense of knowledge, does it drive you to humility or does it puff you up? Does it give you a sense of arrogance and pride or does it call you into a humility? It called Jesus into a humility. So in this moment, Jesus is teaching his disciples, you know who I am. I am the Lord and I am the teacher. You know my status. You know what I could ask you to do. I could tell you to wash my feet. But that's not what I did. I didn't take my security with God. I didn't take my knowledge that I have and use it for my own advantage. I took my status and humbled myself. See, humility arises out of that kind of security with God. When we are secure with God, when we know who we are, when we know who God is and how God is at work in our lives, when we have that kind of security in our hearts, we can do the most menial tasks. We can serve people. We can love people. We can love people who don't love us because they're loving us isn't the source of my security. I am not secure because people like me. I am not secure because people do obeisance to me or say how great you are. I'm not secure. If I'm secure on that basis, it's pretty shaky, isn't it? If that's where my security lies, then any negative word is going to destroy me. And if the world hates me, it's going to destroy me. But Jesus knows who he is and is therefore able to humble himself and take up a task that belonged only to the most menial of situations. Slaves, domestics, women. Those are the people who washed feet. And Jesus begins to wash feet. Now, Peter, as we might expect from Peter, Peter is the mouthpiece. I think he probably says a lot of things that the other disciples are thinking. You know, You're going to wash my feet? No, you are not. You're not going to do that. You will never wash my feet. 
You're the Lord. You're the master. You, you don't deserve that. That is not your role. That's not your place. And Peter doesn't understand things, does he, at this point? Here's what I want us to hear from this text, is what I hear at least. Are we able to receive God's grace when we know that we're not deserving of it? You see, I think there's two parts to this story. One part is, can you receive God's grace? And the other part is, can you follow the example? We're not going to be able to follow the example until we receive the grace. Until we understand the grace, until we internalize the grace, until we know how the grace transforms us and calls us into that life of Jesus. Only then are we going to be able to follow the example that Jesus gave us. And receiving that grace is really hard. Peter rejects it. Can you imagine, that, you know, put it in your sanctified imagination here, of put yourself in that room, and Jesus picks up the towel. Maybe he comes to Peter first. I don't know. We don't know. Remember, Judas is still in the room too. And he starts washing feet. And the disciples feel unworthy. It's kind of like how we receive grace, right? We receive grace and we feel unworthy. And sometimes it's hard for us to receive grace. We reject to it. If not for ourselves, sometimes we reject to it for others. Because they're not worthy. We receive grace, but sometimes we put up barriers to receiving grace and to sensing that grace and to experiencing that grace because not only are we not worthy, we feel shame for what we've done. We're ashamed. We, we have this toxic shame that's a part of our soul that cannot release us to receive the grace that God has given us. We feel the depth of the guilt and we say, there's no way God could forgive that. There's no way I can receive this grace. I can't let Jesus wash my feet. Sometimes it comes in the form of, yeah, we can say, yeah, God's forgiven me, but we haven't forgiven ourselves. About 15 years ago, I went through a spiritual struggle of my own. I've had a few of those along the way. But this one was particularly devastating. And I couldn't forgive myself. So I was doing some therapy to help with that. Therapy's a good thing. Helped me greatly. Christians use what our gifts God gives for help, for spiritual growth and development. And a good Christian therapist can do that, be a tool of God. Anyway, she was talking to me, and, and I was talking about this problem of you know, how I feel so shameful, I feel so dirty, I feel so, you know, like I knew better, and that, you know, just on and on about that in my own head. And I can't forgive myself. I even grew a beard to remind myself that I couldn't forgive myself. 
wasn't much, to tell you the truth. You know, it was, that's really hard for me to do. And she said this to me. She said, do you know something God doesn't? Well, no, of course not. And, but God has forgiven you, yes? You see, my root problem was I wasn't receiving the grace. I wasn't forgiving myself because I really doubted whether actually God had forgiven me as well. If I really believe God's forgiven me, why wouldn't I forgive myself? So the root problem is I didn't know how to receive grace. I think that's happening at this table. They don't know how to receive grace. And God gives it at this table. Jesus gives it at this table. Jesus is even washing the feet of Judas. Can you imagine what that may have seemed like? How would the eye contact between Jesus Jesus and Judas be in that moment? What would have been on the face of Jesus in that moment? A deep sense of love? But also hurt, maybe? I don't know. Because Judas had already put it in, it's already in his heart to do what he's going to do. But nevertheless, Jesus washed his feet. So I challenge you to think about in your own heart, in your own soul, have you received the grace of God? Have you put away the toxicity of shame and guilt and unworthiness? You are worthy in one sense because you are loved. You are loved. You are worthy. You mean something to God. Jesus loved the disciples all the way. And God loves us in Christ all the way. Receive his grace. That's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's not this boom. But keep that love of God out in front of you. Sit with Jesus in the morning and imagine him washing your feet. Sit with Jesus in the morning with his towel wrapped around him and him pouring water on your feet and looking into your eyes and saying, I love you. I'm giving this to you. I am loving on you. And let go of the guilt and the toxicity. But that's just one half of this story. The other half of that story is Jesus asked the question, do you know what I've done to you? It's kind of a strange question, isn't it? It's like God asking in the garden, where are you? As if God doesn't you know. know. You know what I've done to you? And maybe they all looked at each other and said, well, yeah, you washed our feet. What do you, you know, of course. I know what you did. I saw you. I even objected. But okay, you washed the feet. No, do you know what I did to you? Do you know what this was about? It wasn't really about washing feet. It was about how one uses their status, Lord and teacher, to serve the other 
out of love. This is, this is the story about how, what kind of community are you going to be? What kind of disciples are you going to be? If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to wash feet. You're going to have to get your hands dirty. If you're going to be my disciple, you just can't sit in the high chair. You can't sit at the table as if you're the king or the queen. You have to get out of your chair, get on your knees, and wash the feet of even your enemies. You're going to have to love as I have loved if you're going to be my disciples. Calls us to a servanthood. Calls us to a, to a sense of self that is rooted in our identity in Jesus. We are the disciples of Jesus, and therefore we follow Jesus not only into the water in baptism. We follow Jesus not only into the wildernesses of our lives. We follow Jesus at, to the table like we did this morning. But we follow Jesus into these moments of humble, demeaning service if we are disciples of Jesus. I think that's kind of the backdrop of when Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. That's what you do. You love one another as I have loved you. That means you don't use your status to insulate yourself from service. Rather, you use your status, whatever it might be, to get on your knees and serve others. And by this, Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The story of, of Jesus washing feet isn't particularly about washing feet. It's rather about giving grace and disciples learning how to do what Jesus did. That could involve washing feet. That could happen for sure. But it's not just that. It's not limited to that. It's about how we are oriented to others how we're oriented to the Judases in our lives, how we're oriented to our fellow disciples, and how we're oriented to the world that God loves. So loved the world that he gave his son, and we are his disciples. You can come on up. Almost forgot about that. Come on up, yeah. Hey, y'all going the wrong way. It's over here. <laughs> because I forgot about them, I'm having to do a little delay tactic here. That's kind of what, what it's up. No. But seriously, 
Remember how the text began, that Jesus loved those who were in the world. Loved those who were in the world. And on this night, he loved them to the end. That's where we have to center ourselves. Not in our worthiness, not in our capacities, not in our abilities, not in our gifts even. We center ourselves in the one who has loved us so that we might love others. I wish I could have, I wish I could have seen that scene. I imagined it in my head. I imagined it many times. I've imagined it differently in different ways. But I think God calls us into that scene. We, we read the Gospels not just to get information. We read the Gospels not just to pull out propositions. We read the Gospels because the Gospels invite us into this story. They invite us into this moment. They ask us to be participants in this moment. Who are we in this story? Are we the Peter who says, no, I'm not going to receive that grace? Are we the Judas who is unclean and Jesus is still washing my feet? And maybe that would call me into a different way of life? Or is Jesus the one whom we want to follow and be the giver of grace that he is and be the servant to the feet of others. That's our call. I give you a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. And this is how, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples when you love each other.